Greetings, rare ones. My name is Joanne, and I started the Rare Birds podcast because I wanted to hear from people like myself who come from emerging markets or the developing world, as we're called, who are entrepreneurial, resourceful, passionate, and energized to take their vision from idea to startup. Each week, you will hear me interview founders and teams from across emerging markets who are in the early stages of building their businesses. From time to time, you will also hear me speak with established ecosystem builders, mentors, investors, and business professionals who share knowledge based on their years of experience. This podcast is for anyone who is interested in hearing from the next wave of change makers across emerging markets, building in various industries from agro to tech to health, beauty, and all in between. This podcast is also for those who have ideas, but they're not entirely sure how to make them a reality. They're looking for inspiration and encouragement. We call ourselves Rare Ones. And if this sounds like you, then welcome to the family. Sit back, relax, and listen in to our always so good conversation. Bye for now. Welcome back, everyone. So we have arrived at episode 103, series one, Scholarship to Entrepreneurship, African Students Creating Opportunities in China. And today I'd like to introduce you to Zazu Zongo. Zazu is a business student at Tongji University in Shanghai. She's worked in diverse startup teams as both co-founder and consultant. With China as her base, she founded Manzini, an AI research company centered on machine learning for higher education and ultimately building a machine-led curriculum that seeks to fully digitize education in the classroom. So I hope you enjoy listening in to the conversation that I had with Zazu recently. And bye for now. Thanks for joining our podcast this evening. I'm very excited to join and thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. So you're based in Shanghai? Yes, I'm currently based in Shanghai. I'm a student at Tongji University um, where I'm studying business and entrepreneurship. Um, I've been here for two years. I'm starting my third year in Shanghai. So yeah, that's what I'm currently doing. Yeah, so what's life like in Shanghai? Oh, Shanghai is an incredible city. Um, I know. <laughs> very vibrant. <laughs> All types of people, different lifestyles, a very accommodating city. Probably the most accommodating in China, where you find all sorts of people in different um, fields, you know, with different interests. It's really the kind of city that you want to go to, um, yeah, to meet all sorts of people. Um it's yeah, it's it's the New York of Asia. You go there and everyone fits in, like all types of lifestyles. Um, it's a great city to be in. For sure. I love your description, the New York of Asia. But would you say Shanghai is modern or Western or both? Um hmm, that's an interesting question. Um I would say both. Because having experienced different cities in China, there's just a very um, 
liberal feel to Shanghai that you don't necessarily find elsewhere. I mean, there are other cities that are growing exponentially and are as welcoming to foreigners. Um, but Shanghai has just got a particular edge when it comes to that. Um, like I said, it's accommodating to every lifestyle. So there's a lot of modernness to that. So progressive, um, you know, a progressive place to be. Um, and of course, the fact that there are so many people from all, um, from different countries and all sorts of backgrounds makes it very Western. And the, you know, the, the types of, um, you know, the, from cuisines to the types of activities that you can do to, they just cater to um, everyone and particularly um, a very Western sort of taste when it comes to lifestyle. Absolutely. But it's also very Asian. So you can, if you can be an Asian and still feel like you're in Asia here, but you can be a Westerner and, and feel like you've got access to things you would get back in your home country, if that makes sense. So it's, it's a little bit of both, I think. You're absolutely right. I mean, at its core, it is still China and it's the pride of China. So you will find that you will also get that experience. They want to give you the Asian experience, the Chinese experience, um, if you want, if you will. Um, so yeah, there's definitely that, um, but compared in, I think relative to most cities in China, you will find that you feel a lot more at home. You don't feel that far from home um, when you are in China compared to say, um, you know, a place like Nanjing, where Nanjing, mm, yes, mm. or where maybe you Hangzhou. Feel that sense of being foreign. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the 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 sort of big cities, like the first tier cities, the big cities along the east coast, you definitely don't feel as foreign. But I feel like as you start to go more west, more into the center, I feel like that's where you feel a bit more like, okay, I'm an outsider, you know? Yeah. Or further north, yeah. When people Definitely. stop staring, I think that's a good indication. <laughs> it's, that's such a great way to explain it. When you get into Shanghai, no one pays any attention to you. And that's that's yeah. how you know, okay, I'm in Shanghai now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit about where you are from. What, where, what country are you from? Okay, so I come from a city called Durban in South Africa. Um okay. That's where I grew up. Um, it's the third biggest in South Africa after Johannesburg and Cape Town. Um, we grew up in a place called Umlazi. And yeah, I got most of my education in the province of KwaZulu-Natal, which Durban is part of. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a coastal place, very laid back compared to the business hub of Johannesburg. Um, it's, it's a really warm climate. So <laughs> I had a lot of adjusting to do when I moved to, to China because we never have the kind of weather that we have here, especially in winter. Mm. It's a lovely place to be. Um, not as bustling as Shanghai, very quiet. Um, yeah. and you know, very close, the, the communities are very close knit and I kind of, I would say I, I felt a bit suffocated in that space. 
I mean, I love right. it because it's home, but what I love in a place like Shanghai, what I love about big cities is not only the opportunities that they offer, but the fact that you can just live your life. <laughs> Um, and you live your life as freely as you want. You become what you want, and there, there's very little um, control over, you know, over the kind of choices you make about where you want your life to go. Um, so it's kind of, it can be a solitary life, like a very lonely life, but I kind of like the choice that it comes with. Yeah, I can absolutely agree with you and I can absolutely see where you're coming from because I grew up on an 84 square mile island. <laughs> so you can imagine, very yeah. provincial, very provincial. So coming to a place like Shanghai, but then again, after I left my island, I've always lived in big cities and I think it's for that very reason. You can be yourself oh, yeah. and nobody cares. Today, I can be whoever I want to be. And if I want to change that tomorrow, I can do that too. And no one blinks an eye. No one cares. Exactly. Life just goes on. Life just goes on. Yeah. So how did you end up coming to Shanghai from Durban? Give us the backstory. So I was on Twitter one day. <laughs> Ah, Twitter. Twitter user. I've since mm. deactivated, but I was on Twitter. Um, okay. And someone had posted about this opportunity that the Chinese government had opened up to uh, foreign students wishing to pursue their studies in China. And right. I applied. I immediately knew that this would be something that I would want because I'd been to China, I think about three or four times before with my mm. mom um, mm. in, I think I was yeah, 11, the first time I came to China. Um, mm. And it's always been a place that fascinated me. Um, I mm. like how people were self-starters, you know, they, they seem to just be getting things going. They used what they had, like the resources, a little that they had to make something of themselves. And I really identified with that. I thought that was great. I saw the entrepreneurial spirit that people had here. And it inspired me because I'm someone who's always been interested in entrepreneurship. I always knew that that was my path. Um, so I became interested in learning from this place. Um, and then I applied. A um, couple of months later, got selected. So I was one of um, 30 students in South Africa uh, okay. that uh, came uh, to China in 2016. And yeah, as they say, the, the rest is history. <laughs> um, wow. But there are a lot of South African students in China studying in China a lot, aren't Not they? Enough. I say they aren't enough. Because... <laughs> really? Why do you say that? <laughs> I've seen a, compared to countries that are part of the uh, Belt and Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, there, I mean, from countries like Kazakhstan, you'd get 100 students coming in, mm. in one year. Uh, we were only 30. Um, right. But a, a lot of that also has to do with the fact that people don't know about the opportunity, so they don't apply. It's not just because... Um, you, you know, the, the scholarship council isn't taking students. It's because there aren't enough people applying 
or they, for whatever reason, um, some of them think that the process is too difficult or the chances are just really, um, really low. Um, so there, there are many reasons why a lot of people decide to not, to not take on the opportunity and it ends up being a case where we are underrepresented. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I do hear that there are a lot of South Africans here, but I've just, I haven't seen many. <laughs> and yeah. as an example, in my school, there aren't any. I mean, at you least that, those met. So I feel wow. like that's indicative of just how few of us there are. Mm. Okay, so let's jump into your entrepreneurial journey. Tell us how that all started. Okay, so while I was in South Africa, I had started two projects. Um, I had been working on two projects actually prior to coming here. And it wasn't so much, it wasn't a difficult decision to to come here, although I had to um, drop everything and kind of pursue my studies on a more full-time basis. Um, But I saw coming here as an opportunity to to get um, to be introduced to better facilities, obviously the kind of exposure that I could never get at home. Um, you know, when you when you move to a different country, you are exposed to different ideas, a different way of thinking. Um, and in particular with China, a place that's very innovative, you get um, exposed to different ways that things can be done. So right, right. I came here, I wanted to explore, um, especially with, um, you know, exciting technologies like AI and in particular in the field of education. Um, so that's what I've been really interested in the past three years. Um, I've participated in different, um, different competitions here as... Mm-hmm. Um, as the founder of Manzini, which is a, a project that uh, it, it's a company where we're trying to create a, a machine-led curriculum uh, for universities. So I've been um, exploring opportunities with regards to that here. And I've also been involved in other projects where uh, you, you'd be grouped. Mm. So these are projects that would be run by different institutions or different organizations um, or different programs, you know, that people create where you invite it in and you get the opportunity to meet other aspiring entrepreneurs and you start projects together, you work on the project. Um, and it's kind of like an idea testing um, program that you would work on to see it's kind of like training, you know, you don't yeah. really train to be an entrepreneur, I guess, but it's, it kind of prepares you, especially if you're not as familiar uh, with what that entails. It kind of uh, trains you to, to understand how the process works. Uh, so right. one of the projects that we learned um, that I was part of uh, for, for such, a program, um, such a program was called Table 2, where we, <laughs> we created this application that would connect 
uh, people who enjoyed dining, um, mm. and they would to to do that in a more social uh, setting. Because a lot of people are foodies out there. Even if you aren't a foodie, sometimes you just want to be out with someone, um, yeah. and the experience is better when it's shared. So mm. we were inviting those types of people, um, and then. I've created, there's been a project that was um, part of that involved, um, you know, creating a, a platform for people who um, who need help with domestic um, uh, abuse or depression. So we were creating a platform that people uh, could use to get support. Um, mm. And they, But a lot of the projects that I work in are for profit uh, so right. even if it is a, a social objective to to the project it usually is for profit um, right uh, right of course yeah. yeah okay and you mentioned manzini is that something that you started back at home in south africa um i actually started that here in china i've okay. always been in education seeing mm. what you know ju just seeing the kind of doors that it's open for me in particular um you know i come from one of the most unequal societies yeah um, and it became clear to me from a very early age that there was a huge advantage that um i was being given by having access to a quality education. So I saw mm. that very far from from my own experience. In fact, in my own household, um, mm. I could see, I could easily see that, you know, going to a better school had put me in a better position than, say, my cousins or, you know, family members, extended family. So, right. yeah, that, it, it came from that experience. Um, but when I was in China, I, I became interested in AI, so I wanted to see how that technology could be used um, to, to ensure that we level the playing field. Uh, because a lot of the time, the only way to access quality education is to have the funds to do so. And knowing right. South Africa, um, where, you know, a lot of the time, um, from the history that we've had with uh, the apartheid system, a lot of the time, uh, black households would not necessarily be able to support. Um, you know, they might they they support it, but I mean financially support um, a child's. Um, you know. Uh, pursue to uh, quality education. So it becomes very right. difficult uh, for children to to have the same opportunities because how do you compete with someone, um, you know, who goes to a, a school with a library and... Mm. Computers. Like, yeah, with where they get mental health support and you know there's so much balance that you get from a good school versus a school where the teachers uh under trained the school is understaffed there's no library they have no computer training it's just such a, a huge disparity 
Um, so I thought that, that that was a shame that that still happens. And it doesn't just affect, it doesn't just affect the person's um, ability to learn, but it just closes them off to a plethora of other opportunities as they grow up. It becomes difficult for them to enroll in university. Um, I mean, a lot of them finish um, would finish their final year in high school without speaking English properly. Um, and mm. in South Africa, in order to, to get into a good university, you need to be able to speak English um, mm. and well. So your proficiency wow. is pretty high, um, even though it's a country with 11 official languages. I was just going to say that. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Well, obviously, English is a there, there's some superiority with English if it if you have 11 languages but you have to know English to get into uni definitely it's seen as the language that kind of unites the country I mean of course right. it comes from the fact that uh, we were a colony mm-hmm, um, of course. so but it does also come from the fact that it's kind of like what unites us because these are separate languages it would be impossible to to be able to carry out any, you know, to come to any decision as a country or find any unity um, mm. if we all just spoke different languages. So I kind of get where that comes from, but I do feel like it's it's created a situation where a lot of people are left behind um, for... Um, you know, it's no fault of their own, just for the simple fact that they were not able to get good education. Yeah, um, for sure. So, continuing from that, I so I decided to start um, this company where we would create a curriculum uh, mm. for different... So it would be for the different courses that are available in school, uh, but starting with the university because AI is such a young technology i mean it's been yeah. researched for years but it's in its infancy when you consider its abilities so i know it would have a high impact in um a high school or primary school environment because that's when kids are more impressionable and you know it's just easier to learn at that phase but the reason why I, I worked on the project from university perspective is that it's, it's an environment um, where students are a lot more prepared to work um, individually mm. without being motivated by a teacher. Um, because the, the thing with AI is it's able, you know, it's able to learn. You feed it information and um, it does certain tasks much better than a human but it does not, it, it will at this point not um, intellectually stimulate people. Uh, right. It will not hold your hand in your learning journey. You have to be self-motivated. Um, and you, there's a lot that um, is done self-sufficiently by the learner. So uh, universities are a good place to start for that reason. Um, right. And in places like China, it's very mm. important to go to university. So um, you want, 
you know, you want to create this kind of product almost as a competitive advantage. You could sell it as a competitive advantage where um, universities can use it to to sell themselves as, you know, a progressive place or um, or to, to up their ranks. So um, there, there are many markets for that here. Um, but I, I could see how it could benefit uh, both the, the Chinese and South African markets. Um. Mm. Oh, but your project Manzini, do you believe that you've been given a lot of opportunities here in China to propel that, to propel it forward as a venture? Um, I would say learning opportunities. Um, yeah. And it's what make of it really I think I'm still learning so it's difficult for me to say um, yes or no at this point there's just been a lot of learning um, uh, learning in, in, in terms of the process and like I said considering the fact that the technology is young um, mm. so there's little that's known about it a lot of the information on AI centered um, around um, research so a lot of it is not applied um, yeah it's still a lot of test testing that's happening in the field um, yeah. but in terms of um, in terms of learning yes I'm definitely learning a lot way more than excuse me than I could um, in South Africa because that's not you know, these kinds of things are just not happening or at least in this kind of at this scale um, right. so in terms of that yes there are a lot of companies here involved in AI a lot of AI based startups uh, a lot of unicorns that are involved in AI do come from China um, and yes. also a lot of business that are not even tech businesses are implementing um, AI or tools that are related to AI into their business models so that's been interesting to watch um, but the availability of the technology itself is uh, it's a bit questionable because a lot of companies do like to keep it it's a competitive advantage and they like to keep it internal uh, mm. at least for a certain time so they because keeping in mind that companies spend millions some yeah. depending on big they are billions on AI research um, right. building um, AI so you can understand why they would want to keep that to themselves um, so unfortunately that's not there's not much that's available that you can take but there's a lot that you can learn so that's been that's been good and also when it comes to entrepreneurship, you do learn a lot by looking at what other people can do. Um, right. And when you're able to see that from, um, you know, from a, a close, um, from, a, you know, I, I think I, I would say I have a bird's eye view compared to what I would be able to see if I was in SA. I mean, you, you could walk up to, um, you know, you know, these incubation hubs or these places where they kind of ecosystems created for entrepreneurs and see what people are doing. Um, some of the companies have these exhibitions in their headquarters that you can 
um, kind of look at and, you know, you kind of get to see where the technology is and what research is being done. Um, so that's good. It's good that I'm able to see that from here. Yeah, there's a lot of entrepreneurial activity here, not just in Shanghai, but across the country. In China, I mean Beijing, Shenzhen, Hangzhou, all the big cities. There's a lot happening, isn't there? There, Yeah, there definitely is a lot happening. Um, I would say the only difficulty... There is a lot happening in terms of mostly the big companies. So the big companies are doing a lot in terms of um, of, of developing um, these new technologies. It's a little mm. bit harder to, to see. I mean, I think it also depends on where, we, where you look, but it's a bit harder to see um, everyday young people doing these things. There are a lot mm. of young people involved in interesting things but when it comes to um, technology like AI I mean there are a lot of people building applications a lot of people um, you know uh, making devices a lot of people working interesting but AI is it's it's a it's it's a bit different when it comes to to that field because it's so young there's not um, there's you can use the technology up to a certain level at this point. So um, I think a lot of people are experimenting with it, but um, it, it's just really at its infancy. I think the, most of the work being done is experiment um, experimentation as opposed to, um, you know, fin- the, the final finished products that, um, yeah. can be t- to market. Well, China um, is a leader in AI. So at least we know this is the place to be if you're interested in yes. artificial intelligence, for sure. And I mean, I, elementary school kids are using AI in, in their classrooms every day, uh, <laughs> apparently. And I think as, as um, a young entrepreneur, an aspiring entrepreneur, it's good to know that it's, it adds, it's at such an early stage because it mm. really is anyone's game. I think that's the encouragement that I get out of that, out of knowing that so little has been done in the field. It's the fact yeah. that anyone can make, you know, anyone can make something. Anyone can use this technology to to transform different fields or, you know, create right. positive change. Because it's so young. It's it's not the kind of field. It's not like. Um, you know, it's not like the creation of, well, we had this, you know, the, the internet boom where that's in mm-hmm. the past. You know, it's had its people, it has its billionaires, its household mm. names. With AI, it's a very different story. It's still, there, there's no winner yet. So I think that's encouraging to know that anyone could um, pursue this. You know, you have a great idea, you can come in. Um, you play in the field and it could be your game. So that's encouraging. You mentioned that you were involved with a lot of entrepreneurial activities. You said there was Table 2 and then there was some another platform that you created for you said for depression and and for domestic violence and whatnot. How did you get involved with these projects? Mm. So it's 
the the great thing about a city like Shanghai, I'm not sure about other cities, but I'll just speak from my experience living in Shanghai is uh, information is very accessible. As you know, mm. Um, mm. in China, it's I mean, all you need is a cell phone and you've got pretty much access to everything. Yes, so, the world is in the mobile phone. Yeah, yes, the world in your pocket. So yes. you literally just, you, you get these applications that have guides. So it's mm. a city guide or um, you get, you know, you join a meetup that's that's um, dedicated to entrepreneurship or a WeChat group where mm. people talk about entrepreneurship and the kind of opportunities that are out there. Um, mm. And then you go. <laughs> it's very simple. Um, yeah. and very accessible um, and also once you find your circles within the city people interested in the same things and it's very easy to know um, about what's happening around you because you know circles are very small it's a it's a huge city but the, the circles are small so right. you would likely yeah if you are in a circle that has people who are interested in entrepreneurship or um, in particular AI, then it would be very easy for you to know about those opportunities or those events. For sure. And what is your view on entrepreneurship here in China, just based on your time here and your experience being involved in these projects and starting Manzini, etc.? Hmm. Um... It's an interesting landscape, definitely unlike any other. Things yeah. happen at a crazy rate. Like it's, yeah, people are tremendously productive here. Crazy. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's quite impressive how productive they are. Um, yes. They really believe in hard work and they, as we know, are, are really good at um, especially things that are systematic. So if you're doing something that... Um, you know, it, it's it, it's probably been done here before. So it, it, if it's a repeated process and you get things churned out in like, you know, weeks as opposed yeah. to like elsewhere. So I really like that, that culture of being super efficient. Um, but I also felt like it wasn't as... Um, there weren't as many. I think, you know, coming here, I, I, I failed to manage my expectations. I expected that everyone would be involved in entrepreneurship. <laughs> I know it sounds <laughs> ridiculous, but that was uh, what I had initially thought. Um, I mean, there are a lot of people who are, but it's just not everyone. Um, mm -hmm. Because, and also the fact that a lot of people... I think comparing it to South Africa, a lot of people were survivalist entrepreneurs. Uh, mm. But here, I think a lot of the entrepreneurship happens out of passion. So sure. in, in, what I mean is in South Africa, you had a lot of people who would start selling something to survive, you know, for the family, you sell fruits, you sell. Of course, um, of course. It's necessity. Have, yes. So it, it was more survivalist. Um mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people also do it out of passion, but here I felt like uh, not. Mm, it's it's quite rare to see 
um, a lot of people going into it for survivalist reasons. And I mean, I I give credit to people who who do it out of those reasons. It's not just you know, it's not it's not just something you have to go into because you're passionate about. I mean, there's um, so there's strength in that. But here I, I did find that a lot of people who are involved in it are people who are really passionate about, um, you know, creating something that brings about change. Um, and a lot of people who are here to survive will rather find work. So mm. maybe that, you know, maybe that's not a bad thing um, because then it, it means... Maybe it means a better, you know, quality of innovation as opposed right. to someone who's just doing this, you know, food to mouth for a loaf of bread, maybe. Right. Um, right. But, yeah, but that was interesting. Uh, the fact that people have um, very different approach to entrepreneurship and the reason why you go into it, you know, it, it, its use. Um so you find that, yeah, even when people have the, the skills that are needed, um, like skills like AI, they would rather find a work, like work for um, a big company, you know, they get their salary and they would work right. for startups as well. But the challenge with being a startup is that they want you to pay them. And when you are in a startup, especially in a foreign country where you are not allowed to work, you are not mm. making any money. Um, so you cannot afford to pay anyone. And you would mm. like people to join, you know, as co-founders or, you know, um, you give them some incentive, but it's probably right. not going to be money uh, in the first couple of months or years. And that's right. that's a bit of a challenge. And I found that you, it was a bit easier in South Africa to source talent that would not mm. expect immediate returns. So that's the difference yeah yeah but again it's like what you said south africa is a very different country to china and yeah there's just there's just a lot of a lot of differences but you do have a completely different perspective now having been here for some time it's definitely not the same as coming here as a tourist <laughs> you mm -hmm. get a very different picture um, yeah. I think, yeah, when I, when I came here, there, there was a lot that I took for granted. Um, excuse me. But, yeah, when, when you start to live here, then a very different picture emerges. Um, you start to see. And also the, the thing that, you know, the, the thing that I think I took for granted before coming to live here was the fact that it's what everyone thinks, that China is a copy and paste economy. And mm -hmm. you come here and find that that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot that's being done here that you would not see outside of China. Um, yeah. Now, give you a couple of examples, like the um, the cashless payment systems that we have here that you would not find in many places, or at least implemented um, at the scale that they have been here. Yeah. Um, you know, where we don't walk around with any cards or cash. Right, we're a completely cashless society here in China. Completely, yes. You know, the the delivery systems and also the low cost, it's quite incredible. Uh, it what, is, it is. Yeah, what the, the huge, demo, you know, the 
what big demand the 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 cuts in cost that comes with a huge demand so yeah just how we able to hail taxi and order food at next to nothing um so that's been it's good and also the thing that i like about that um the fact that it's a bargainers what what is it called it's called a bargainers market uh, i think something Mm. to to that effect um but it's the fact that you because people have such strong buying power it means that it also makes it easy for new entrants to come in because it means that people are not loyal to names i mean that's only good when you are at at the startup phase of your business you know you just it's good it helps you enter the market so Mm. it's good up until then um that people are are not loyal to names they're loyal to price so yes yes you know the the cheap if you're a cheaper today and someone else is cheaper tomorrow people will not hesitate to move to the next person um so i guess yeah, and you don't really find that elsewhere in the world. You would have, you know, brands that are household names and people use those brands because they trust them. Um, but mm. here, it kind of means that anyone can enter a market. Um, mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. Obviously, it should meet um, the standards, the, uh, the product should meet the standards. But you could um, practically enter a market and then get customers and then all you need to do is make them happy um, but I guess in the long run that becomes quite difficult if once you move from startup phase to kind of trying to establish your business because it means that the people coming after you take <laughs> your customers but um, thinking in terms of being a startup is a really big advantage because then it means um, it doesn't take as long to to build a customer base, yeah. Right, right. One of the things that I noticed when I came here um, about entrepreneurship, startups, what have you, is that people, outsiders, foreigners, and you'll have to tell me if you've observed this or if I'm completely off, they seem to take offense to a Chinese business or like a Chinese person copying someone else's business model, but just making it better in some way or tweaking mm-hmm. it in, in, a, in a certain way and becoming hugely and just wildly successful. Have you observed that as well here? Whereas with the Chinese, like that's like the, the fact that getting upset about that, it's not a thing for them. They just move on to the next thing. They just try to do the next thing better. But there isn't this issue of, like there isn't this outrage of, oh my God, you copied my business model. And da, 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 da. They just, it's like, okay, whatever. Like you said, they're offering a better product at a better price and that's where we're going to go. Do you, have you observed that as well? Yeah, um, I think especially with Americans because you know, with the culture of Silicon Valley being um, innovation and, you know, having a novel idea, here it's, it doesn't it doesn't work here um here it's about being cheaper and faster and you know now better uh, people do uh, tend to to improve the products 
And I think that that works for everyone because mm. um, it was interesting. I, I was watching a documentary on, on Shenzhen and someone was saying, um, it, it, you know, it opens the market and it does make, actually create more room for innovation because if it's just one company um, creating a product um, yes. and then others do not have the license to do so, then no one's really innovating. It's just that product that's, that's going to exist. But then if, if we have, you know, kind of like this open um, uh, source kind of landscape, then people can innovate from that. And it also means that the product can be cheaper. So mm -hmm. if we are creating a product that's useful and helpful and, you know, takes kind of like drive society forward, then it helps to have that product um, be affordable to, to everyone. So that's what it creates. Um, I, in particular, I believe that the purpose of things like patents and, you know, like um, intellectual property um, serve a purpose for only a short time. So the purpose is to get a head start. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's how yeah. I see it so once you have a head start for an example I create this product that I've been talking to you about and I'm first in the market that's already a huge advantage right. um, but right. if I if I um, honest about if I'm honest about the fact that I am doing this in order to um to make quality education accessible to everyone, then I would want it to be, you know, I, I would want the kind of innovations that, um, that I've, you know, created to be open to everyone so that they make that easier. So we work together to do that. Um, yeah. And I think entrepreneurship is a lot like that. I mean, if you see yeah. the, the biggest tech companies right now, it's, they they come up, you know, it's to get an edge. If you look at Apple, they would mm -hmm. create, um, they would, you know, they they create something, a new feature, um, they pa patent it, they would create new software, whatever. And then uh, they patent whatever they've created. Um, and then a couple of months down the line, maybe even less, you'd see the same thing in Samsung. And um, yeah. Way, you know a couple of other products because the the aim is to get the head start it's not to hold an innovation then what's the point then no one's going to be yeah. innovate um and also yeah. a lot of the innovations can take the same direction so if you're creating uh for example you have a patent for um what can i use like a flat um, a screen you know like uh, um for how cell phones are going to look in two right. years right then cell phones should all look like that in two years i mean not as a rule but um it's the direction that you see as someone who's innovating as you you see the industry going so yeah. of course other brands um if you if you really believe that that innovation um works or is 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 the future then of course other brands should um, you would hope that other brands would incorporate that into their designs. Um, if Definitely. That makes, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I love your point about you think that's mostly with Americans. You know, I thought it was just foreigners, but you're right. It. I think it is more so Americans. And you're, 
your analysis is really interesting because I didn't think of it in that way. The whole Silicon Valley constantly innovating, constantly trying to to create new things. And there's this this attitude like, well, why would we want to make somebody else's product better? Whereas mm. here, that's here. They're, they're happy with doing that. <laughs> it's not yeah. a thing, you know, like no one makes a big deal out of out of taking somebody else's product and just making it better where I think in in the US and like you said that Silicon Valley culture is you constantly have to make something different you have to create a whole yeah. new product and it's got to be this you know mind-blowing thing and it's I don't know it's just it's it's different yeah. here it's really I think in, in in the US there seems to be a lot of shame um, mm. around um, pinching, or if you want to call it stealing. Copying. Oh, that's <laughs> a big thing here. Oh, yeah. Copying. <laughs> There's a lot Copying. of shame around. That. There's huge reward for innovating and you yes. know being different. So you are rewarded for that in, in in Silicon Valley, and it's a different case here where you the bottom line. You know, it's about the bottom line. You make the money. Uh, you make the people happy obviously in order to keep making the money uh but the point is you make the money and that's what gives you um the, the status the status as a company so it, it's the the reward system um, is quite different yeah yeah and i think that's difficult for some foreigners who are trying to build a business here because you have to really reshape your mind in order to survive here in order to build a business here and if you're accustomed to that mindset it could be really difficult i think mm. yeah that people. that could be quite a challenge um <laughs> it's so funny but yeah it, it's it's the kind of place where you you can't come with one idea um mm. a lot of local people like to say you know if one idea is all you've got then you know just forget Forget about becoming a unicorn. Forget about wow, being because it's yeah. You need to have more than mm. uh, one idea, because it will. If it's a good idea, it will be stolen, and mm. you need to be able to. You need to be accepting of that and aware of that. So you've got mm. to have more than just an idea, and I mm. think, you know, when you are an entrepreneur. You are, by by virtue of being an entrepreneur, an idea generator. You should ideas should just always come to you. Um, right. I mean, of course, you you do get attached to ideas, and you know they become the center of your world. Um, but um, you you need to know when to let go and move on to the next thing. So it's it's just like when an idea fails, you need to move on, come up with something you know even better. And it's, right. that's exactly what happens when it gets stolen. Um, and also, there, there should be um, processes in place. You should put processes in place that assure that even when it does get stolen, you've already gotten that head start. So you're already somewhere. You've made, you know, your buck. Um, yeah. And you've got your 15 minutes. <laughs> or, or you could also think of ways to... To differentiate your, yourself even further from competition, and Absolutely. that's what you have to do in every business because yeah, um, yeah, a lot of the time the ideas that you come up with as an entrepreneur will be ideas that have been done somewhere or are exactly 
nothing is ever really new. Nothing is ever yes. really new. Yeah. Yes. So from that perspective, it's very important to always reinvent yourself, reinvent the yep. product. Yeah. Yeah. And and remain relevant, and that's yes. that's and that in and of itself is the innovation, not necessarily trying to come up with something new, but trying to yes. maintain your you know your how do you try to maintain what you're doing and keep getting better and and keep making something that people will want, and I think that's mm-hmm. the key. And a watertight business model is more than just you know the novelty of the business. You have to think beyond that. Um, yeah. You have to think about many things like, you know, innovation, how you would retain talent, how you yeah. would, there, there are a lot of things to consider and to just have a novel idea is not enough. You know, because, for example, in the Western world, people hide their ideas. I've got my yeah. idea, I'm not going <laughs> to share it. I'm not going to tell anyone, you know, this is my idea. And you've got to ask yourself, but is it really new? Is this really a novel idea, you know, or is it just the way you've packaged it and how you're going to deliver it might be a little bit different, but people are very protective of their ideas and they don't share and they don't talk about it. And meanwhile, somebody else is doing the same thing, but just in a different way. You know, one of the first things we learned um, when I was in business school back in in South Africa was Mm. exactly that. They so one of the first lessons we had um, when I went to um, the University of Cape Town of studying um, entrepreneurship, they said, um, just the first thing you need to learn is get over the idea that you need to hide your idea. Talk mm. to as many people as you can about your idea because that's I the agree. only way that you'd be able to to learn. We get married to ideas. We treat ideas like our babies. You know, we get very attached to ideas. So it's yes. easy for us to, to overlook many things, many loopholes in the idea. And it's so important to speak to people because they see the ideas with fresher eyes in a way yeah. that we could never see them. Um, and they offer really valuable feedback that help you. I mean, you are not going to be the client. Right. As much as you, you would think that there's, you know, there's a market for this and a need for this, you're not going to be your client. So you right. need to speak to people who are potential clients to help you. Um, to get that you know, validation. To, yes, you, you need that. Um, it's really helpful. And also, once you start doing research, if you get really serious about doing your research, you realize that tons of people have already thought of this or already working on this. Um, you know, and I, uh, I speak to um, other young people interested in, in, in starting businesses, and I listen to them pitch their ideas, and people will, you know, the question would uh, be, so who's your competition? And people say, oh, I don't have any competition. <laughs> it's one of the funniest, but most frustrating things to hear because it's impossible. Um, you're so always going to have competition. competition. You just haven't identified Even, it yet. Exactly. <laughs> because I think how people understand it is, you know, competition is a person uh, with the same product as you. Not necessarily. Your competition... Right are the people who are offering an alternative to what you are bringing out. So if you think this is a cutting edge idea 
what's currently out there that people are using in place of that idea. So that's, yeah, it's it's important to think of it in terms of that because a lot of people hide ideas with um, the mentality that, oh, you know, no one's doing this, so I, I need... You still have competition to think about, so you still have people who are your replacement um, yeah. Yeah. To, to consider. Sure. So you are in what year, did you say, of your university degree? So right now it's the second year. I, I did two years of Chinese and right. yeah, it's the second. So you'll be graduating how, in when? In what year do you finish your degree? In 2022. Um, okay. uh, the mid, mid 2022, yeah. So what are your plans? Have you thought about what you're going to do after you finish your degree here in China, in Shanghai? Yes, I have. I haven't really thought about where I would move. So I've been thinking more in terms of um, where the ideas will be in terms yeah. of their development. But um, yeah. I haven't really thought of where I'd like to move. Um, so I would continue working on the education project. Um, that's Manzini. And then I'm interested in also going to property development. Um, wow. Yes. <laughs> I didn't really get to talk about that, but that's another huge uh, focus of mine. Um, mm. You know, with the, with the objective of developing South Africa, I think good infrastructure mm. and, you know, just it did. I, I liked how you you phrased it one time where you said it it's it's it speaks to the ambition of a place and I really believe that that, that mm-hmm. that's what a good you know architecture and infrastructure do so I'm really interested yeah. in participating in that um, thinking of starting in in Durban um, and I'm not really sure where if or where I would move because yeah. I don't feel like I need to be physically somewhere in order to contribute to the place so um, as much as I want to take back I want to take a lot back to to my home country I don't feel like I have to be there in order to To do do that and sometimes it are more effective actually outside of of Africa trying to assist Africa, you're more effective outside than you are when you are there because, yeah. you know, outside to a lot more um, and then you can take that back or you, you can grow a lot faster and then you, you can, you know, take that home. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I haven't really thought about that, but I yeah. definitely thought about the direction. Wow. So, that was going to be my next question, actually. Do you plan to go back home? But now we already know. <laughs> you may you may not go back home. Yeah, but you'll see what happens. I mean, it's still early. A lot can happen in, what is it, two, three years? A lot can yeah. happen in time. Um, I'm not Definitely. You know, very open-minded about it, but I am aware of the fact that a lot changes in even a year. Absolutely. Um, but there, there is that possibility but I also do feel like with what's available in my immediate surroundings right now, 
it might actually be better to be um, in a place like this where there's just uh, more in my orbit and then I could take that, you know, back. I could transfer that back to to where I come from, not just South Africa, but, you know, looking at the rest of Africa. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So what advice, what words of advice do you have for other aspiring or emerging entrepreneurs, particularly those who may want to come to China to fulfill their China dream? <laughs> um, of building a business? First thing, do your research, very important. Um, I should have done more of that uh, because I might have chosen to go to a city like Shenzhen um, yeah. or I might have gone to Hangzhou. I might, mm. I mean, I love my style in Shanghai. It's definitely very accommodating uh, for to foreigners. But um, in terms of business, um, I might have actually gone for a different city. So research yeah. is very important. Okay. And also... Learn the language, okay, <laughs> very important, um, especially if you're not coming, um, you know, if, you, if you're not going to be learning Chinese first, because I was really fortunate to be able to, to learn the language first and then kind of like settle into life here. So if you're not going to be learning the language first, it would be useful to, to do that um, first. And then... Manage your expectations. You have to manage your expectations. Um, you have to know, have an idea of how the process will work. A lot of the learning will come once you're already here. So there will be a lot of surprises guaranteed. Uh, but it kind of helps to know what is and isn't happening. So... Um, by that meaning that it might not be as easy as you think to find people will be interested in the same things as you. So just because you want to start a company in, um, you know, um, data mining or something, it, it might not be easy to, to, to find the talent. One, because of the language. Um, if you are sourcing local talent, a lot of people will not speak English um, or your home language. And the second reason <clears throat> will be because talent is being, um, a lot of the talent is being hunted by big companies. And mm. of course, people tend to prefer big companies because they offer more perks, a higher salary and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and then... Yeah, so manage your expectations in, in terms of, of what you think you'll get out of here. And also, um, the other point is you have to be a self-starter. You have to um, be very resourceful. Um, things don't come easy and you have to just find a way. So yeah. Yeah, you just have to find a way around things and be resourceful. And I think this is... Uh, it's a place where you can actually be resourceful because, um, like I mentioned earlier, costs are much lower here. Um, it's much, easier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of easier to build things. It's easier to, you have more, a bit, yeah, more access to people. You know, if you're coming through um, 
school, you can use your university as uh, a resource, you know, find people there that you can use um, uh, to drive your, um, your idea forward. And one of the things that they have here are entrepreneurship visas for students at the universities, which is really a fascinating, um, I guess, advantage, depending on how you see it. I've heard of those. I'm really interested in those. <laughs> I yeah, think they're of course. a great yeah. opportunity because you don't even need work experience now um, no. to get an entrepreneurship visa. But yeah. I think still being test one. I think it would be wonderful if they um, officially, you know, officially made that available. Um, but it's yeah, a great place country. And I yeah, think, sure. yeah, and I, I think the support directed towards entrepreneurship would be uh, a, a lot more, um, um, a, a lot more varied and yeah, I just think it would be more helpful because right now when you come in, it's, you know, you come in with a student visa and you expect it uh, to be a student. Of course, you can do these things um, on the side as part of, you know, your experience here. You you can get started on a lot of things, um, but it would be great to actually um, officially launch this thing where it's just directed towards entrepreneurship and um, kind of like providing the right resources for them uh, and, you know, exposing them to the right institutions. Because um, a lot of the time you hear you, you have to do a lot of the leg, leg work yourself. Um, so that's great. I've heard about it. I'm excited to, to hear how yeah. that goes. I think it's been, it's being rolled out in certain parts of the country and through certain universities, from what I mm. understand. And like you said, they're still testing it. But I still think that's encouraging because I don't know too many countries that allow students to get entrepreneur, foreign students to get entrepreneurship visas. Usually, yeah. especially at the undergraduate level, usually it's, you know, PhDs who have research uh -huh. and ideas or or whatnot. But they're, I think they are very um, supportive of entrepreneurship here in the country, yeah, generally. Definitely. Very um, supportive. Yes, I think China is really like spreading its wings when it comes to um, being a world leader in not just not just growing their economy, but you know, being more accommodating. Um, yeah. We've seen, you know, I like to use Silicon Valley as an example because that's where we see all the talent go when go when people mm -hmm. want to start a business. It's like instantaneously the, the first choice, you know, you go to Silicon Valley for that. But now we've seen this change where, um, you know, people do know more about China and people know that it's easier to build products there. So the government seems to be investing a lot in, um, in, in making a home for, for people who are um, interested in, in being their own bosses. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's one move that will help ensure that um, it, it helps support that mission that they have. Yeah, and apparently in Beijing, there's this um, new uh, visa whereby foreigners who work part-time 
can also, who work full-time, I'm sorry, can also work part-time, I think there's teachers, foreign teachers, I'm not entirely sure which profession, they can work part-time either in a company or building a business. So there's a lot of really innovative things happening in the country. Um, I think they're, they're testing it in the bigger cities, the first tier cities first, and seeing how it goes. But generally, I think it's all very encouraging. And like you said, they're they're testing things, trying trying a lot of yeah, different things. Yeah, and I think it's 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 really a uh, the time is ripe for that because it is an economy that's going exponentially fast, um, and a lot of the innovations, a lot of the um, the highest um, valued companies here, the unicorns here are local they're created by local people they're local innovations um so in order for china to become uh, a world leader in entrepreneurship they need um to to have a more inclusive you know uh, entrepreneurship landscape and it needs to be um it needs to be a place for everyone you know they want to open it up to everyone. So I think that's really geared towards that, ensuring that it, it is this place where anyone can come and make something of themselves and build the technology. I mean, it would be Chinese built, just like, you know, people like Elon Musk went to the US. They're not US born, but they build their technologies there and therefore mm-hmm. they are American companies. So um, I expect we'll see the same thing with China in a, a couple of years with, with what they seem to be doing right now, where people can come from all parts of the world and build, you know, Chinese companies, even when they yeah. come from other parts of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So would you like to tell our audience how they can find you or find out about, say, Manzini? Do you have any social media that you'd like to share? Okay. Websites so I'm... We're still working on that. Maybe I can okay. send that to you another time. Um, yeah, but sure. I'm I'm available on LinkedIn as Zazu Zungu. Um, I don't tweet anymore. That used to be a great way to 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 meet people and stay in yeah. touch. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm available on LinkedIn as Zazu Zungu. So for now, that's that's the best way. That's the way. Yeah. It's probably best to stay off of Twitter. So many people get into trouble on Twitter these days. <laughs> people can't control themselves. There. Yeah. yeah. Twitter can get into a lot of trouble. I think people forget all common sense and lose their emotions mm. when they get onto the onto platforms like it's Twitter. It's just so. such a it's too safe a space. <laughs> I mean, it's safe for a while until you say the wrong thing, but <laughs> Um, yes. It just used to be that place where you could say anything, and you also learn a lot. There are interesting engagements that you would have with people on there. So it's a great platform, but unfortunately, I spent way too much time on Twitter mm. and found it to be, you know, a bit counterproductive. So I stopped. That's good. Being able to be self-aware and reflect like that is is actually really good because, no, there's some of us who just can't get off of social media, <laughs> any kind of social media. So it's, yeah. it's, it's good to be able to self-manage, self-manage, especially if you're a student. Um, I find a lot of students 
are on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, they spend a lot of time there. But I guess that's also a kind of release, you know. Mm. It's kind. It's an. It's another world, you know. You can create a whole other image that's of yourself true. in social media, and and you can live there. You can live there, and people people believe that. So mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, for That's sure. That's very true. <laughs> sure, for sure. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure and privilege to speak to you, Zazu. Thank you so much, Joanne. Likewise. Yes, thank you for giving us some of your time and for sharing your insights with us. And it has been a real joy just to listen to you and hear your perspective. And I'm sure you're going to go off to do great things wherever you do end up. Thank you, Joanne. It's been a real pleasure. Okay, so have a good evening and bye for now. All right, good night. Bye. Hey there, Rare Ones. I hope you enjoyed listening into this week's conversation. The Rare Birds podcast is available for listen across all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Anchor, and several more. Please share our conversations with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can do so by opting in on our homepage of our website, www.rarebirdshq.com. The weekly newsletter provides analysis and data around the topics explored in our weekly conversations. Lastly, I would love your feedback and spend way too much time on Twitter. My handle is included in the notes section of each episode. Tweet me your thoughts, ideas, opinions, and feedback because I'm always looking for ways to improve my craft. If you absolutely love what you heard, then rate us on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week for more conversation. Bye for now.